Man's Tailor, a good omens podvik, written by Sodium Aside and read by Job. Summary An eternity is a very long time to find clothing that suits an angel. One particular family is blessedly proud to be the ones to do so, generation after generation. After all, they have standards. In heaven, the only clothing that existed was uniforms. Several thousand years after humanity came into being, a purple-eyed archangel would abruptly ignore his previous assertions that all human clothing was stupid frippery and decided that he liked them and always had. That archangel would also never acknowledge that he was at any point jealous of Aziraphale, the principality. Later, heaven's sartorial standards would diversify somewhat, despite fierce opposition from many of the hosts, who found comfort in conformity. Aziraphale did not. Their agent on earth, assigned by herself, returned to heaven after the flood to give his report, dressed in a tunic made of buttery soft leathers, a wrapped headdress like nothing that the celestial halls had ever seen, and golden beads tied at his throat and around his ankles. He meekly accepted his chastisement from the scandalized archangels. Aziraphale assured them all that he was not actually a king or a concubine, and that heavenly robes were far more trouble than could be justified while he was on earth. The robes had been troubling indeed, and the troubled Aziraphale had looked for help with his trouble. The solution Aziraphale had found was a family of humans. It had started just before the flood. An easy-smiling Mesopotamian tailor with a good eye had fitted a man-shaped being with a fine tunic. The tailor had laughed, not unkindly, about his customer's bewilderment and was pleased to explain what he was doing and to recommend materials that felt good on the skin. That tailor had trusted his instincts when his customer had strongly recommended that he move his family to a distant land immediately, and overpaid enough to make it possible. They were the only ones outside of Noah's family to be warned, even obliquely, of what was coming and escape. Their exotic fashion and moderate wealth had gotten them a warmer welcome in a neighboring country than was usual for immigrants. It was as if good luck followed them like a blessing. Many years later, the youngest son of a very old man, who still smiled even though his eyes weren't what they used to be, bowed respectfully when his father introduced him to an old friend, who would become a loyal patron of the family business. It became a tradition when the business passed down to a new generation. Their patron would sit down and take wine, or meat, or tea, or whatever beverage was most suited, and be introduced to the newest proprietor. 
he would then be fitted for new clothes by the steady hands of his tailor. His unchanging measurements were kept on a stone tablet in a safe place. The family business blossomed and grew. Clothing became a pivotal aspect of class and demonstration of status and alliance in every human culture. The family was fruitful and multiplied. The patron gave his name occasionally, but with so many generations who were more skilled with a needle than a pen, it had been lost. They just called him luck when speaking about him. Eventually, they took his name for their own. In 980 AD, one of the family sued a luxuriously grand cloak for the patron, with layered furs and hand-embroidered linings, to keep him warm, despite the fog and chill. The patron wore it for the next hundred years, bringing it with him for sentimental repairs when the next generation took over. It was a daughter that time, scandalously enough, although the patron didn't mind. And what the patron was fine with, their neighbors always tolerated as well. Luck was with the family that way. The luck tailors, the masters, journeymen and wide-eyed apprentices kept the patron in the finest of garb at the very edge of modern fashion, on every continent he set foot on. During the Black Plague, the luck tailors were visited twice and found respite in a dark time in creating something beautiful for the patron, whose eyes were so sad, but who smiled at them all and overpaid so much. Several of the family caught the affliction, but all of them survived. It was a miracle. In the Elizabethan area, the patron was dressed in silver and gold brocade, with a fine ruff, carved buttons, and silken hose suitable for a prince. The 18th century was the peak of the family's good fortune. The patron came by monthly, for decades, enchanted by the silks and velvets and fine laces that were in fashion, and the family was proud to demonstrate the best of their skills. Any of them who had a hand in dressing the patron held themselves to the highest standards. There were luck tailors in every court in every country. Their name was enough to guarantee customers in every city, and what walked out of their shops was the height of fashion. Then the 19th century comes, and politics are tumultuous, and there are so many borders, and travel is expensive. The family drifts apart somewhat. Such is the way of the world, but the oldest job remains, and the head proprietor still bows when the patron walks in for his latest suit. The old man is almost ready to pass along the title, and his son watches eagerly as a new coat is measured and stitched. They wave a fond farewell as the patron leaves, as beautifully dressed as ever. 
It's not enough to make the history books. It is a small outbreak, after all. Only a few cities and towns were affected. There would be a vaccine invented for it in the future, through what some called divine inspiration. Smallpox sweeps through. So merciless, it seems, as if one of the four horsemen is riding, and the family luck is gone in a matter of weeks. Aziraphale wears his last lucky coat almost continuously for the rest of his life. Oh, there are other tailors who are permitted to make him trousers, shirts, and such like. He is polite, and they are professional. He always pays well and leaves tips for good service, as a gentleman ought to. He begins to look more than a bit out of date. Most modern fashions, even if he does like them, wouldn't go with his coat. His lucky coat stays with him, unless he is worried that he might be going into danger. He switches it out for a different one when attempting to capture Nazis during the Second World War. He wears a rather ugly cassock while attempting to avert the apocalypse. A demon blows away a paint stain on it, and his heart brightens for the first time in a decade. His lucky coat now has another memory in its threats. The apocalypse comes, and Aziraphale's body and clothing is destroyed. He comes back in a replacement body by the whims of an antichrist who chooses not to be. But his lucky coat is not the same. How could it be? Some months later, after many words have been said, and the arrangement has grown into an understanding, Aziraphale and his demon have tea with the witch and her witch-finder. The witch is discussing some of the device family's fascinating history, as well as the related branches of doohickeys, whatsits, and other amusing surnames. Her mother is going to be visiting soon, bewildered but pleased at the continuation of the world, along with her father, a quiet man whom she married out of affection, and apparently a very pointed prophecy from their infamous ancestor quite similar to the one that had prompted them to purchase stock in a particular technology company. The demon exchanges a sceptical look with the witchfinder and offers a flask, which is bemusedly accepted. Aziraphale ignores them both, sifting through his memory for what prophecy the witch might be referencing, and remembers just in time to recite it with her. A man shall smile upon thee, upon a chance meeting, and his hands have never held a needle, yet shall hold thy heart. Take him as thy husband, and bring luck unto the end of days. The witch grins in cheerful camaraderie at the angel Aziraphale, and smooths her beautiful skirts. He took mum's name, of course, once they married. It's almost too bad. 
Although I think anathema device is easier to pronounce than anathema luck, don't you think? She laughs along with the crowd, while the angel's face stiffens noticeably. He eventually manages the rictus of a smile in response to her concerned expression. I'm just being an old silly, and was reminded of a friend I used to have. When is your father visiting? I would like to meet him. The witch blinks. Oh, sure, that's great. Always supportive of whatever we wanted to do, even if the end of the world was on its way. My little brother wants to be a fashion designer, if you can believe that. There is a long pause. Aziraphale, are you crying? The angel wipes his eyes and begins to tell a story. The End 